Mr. Weissman, mm -hmm. yes. tell us about the film you're going to make. Oh, sure. It's called Charlie Chan in London. It's a detective story. Set in London. Well, not really. Uh, most of it takes place at a uh, shooting party in a country house, sort of like this one, actually. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect, uh, you know, that sort of thing. How horrid. Welcome to the Anglophiles Podcast, a podcast where two Americans discuss British TV and movies. I'm Danny. I'm Sheldon. And how are you? Oh, I'm back in business, Danny. You are? I mean, well, I mean, a, a little bit, you know. Um, Los Angeles is opening up, like it's getting back to normal. Yes. I think, um, you know, there are, are comedy shows are happening, and that's something that you know, like I, I like to do a lot of um, comedy in LA, especially like sketch comedy uh, or improv, more so than stand up. Um, something a couple weeks ago, I was lucky enough to be in um, Upright Citizens Brigade's Tournament of Nerds, uh, one of my favorite shows I get to do. Um, it was a lot of fun. And then this weekend coming out, um, I am going to be on somebody's Twitch stream where I'm doing like a uh, trivia comedy. And then coming up, next weekend so whenever you're depending on when you're listening to this july 18th i am going to be in a los angeles comedians version of taskmaster which is wild and so much fun i mean i i you know like we we've covered it on the show we love taskmaster we love it i i've seen i haven't seen every season i've seen every season that's you available have, for americans on you youtube have watched so much taskmaster yeah like i think you stopped whenever like we did the podcast then you didn't keep watching it but they've they've been continuing to upload seasons to youtube like slowly but surely cool. and so i've been watching and keeping up and for the past month and a half i've been doing my own tasks and it's been wild and weird yeah your friend put the show together and gave you all these prompts and envelopes yeah and so it's it's his birthday and so, like, for his birthday, he wanted to be the taskmaster and give us all a bunch of torture to do. <laughs> is he Alex Horn? Um, no, he is going to be Greg. His oh, wife okay. is at the Alex Horn. Uh, okay, so okay. she's the one that I'm communicating with, and I'm sending her all of, like, the video footage and stuff. And, like, you know me. I have a love of this show. Like, taskmaster... Some of my favorite people are the ones that choose to wear a costume mm. where they're like, this is my look. This is my outfit. Like a Noel Fielding. Like, yeah, like a Noel. And I decided to do that myself. <laughs> I have a, it looks like a, an old kind of a, a band leader's uniform. Um, it's black with oh, some like, like a marching band. Yeah. It's your adamant jacket. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's black with some like gold uh, lining all over it. Um, it's great. And I'm wearing it in every task. Um, and if you want to watch that, I will be tweeting the link sometime this week when I know exactly the, the Twitch stream. We can um, also post it to our Facebook. We'll also post it there. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow me on, on uh, Twitter or anything, I'm at ShellDumb. It's my name, but just dumb. Uh, and then I'll be posting about it there. Very cool. Yeah. That's I'm, exciting. I'm excited. I, uh, I did get the pleasure of... <laughs> oh, our cat wants in this podcast. Yeah, Niffler, uh, are you ready to be the third host? 
Nothing. That was her moment. Yeah, she choked. Um, yeah, no, I, I had the absolute pleasure of being able to see you filming some of your tasks. You walked in whenever I was like finishing up on one. And it was the funniest thing where I couldn't break. And you're watching me do something ridiculous. Um, one task I had to, this doesn't really give anything away. Um, I had to make something out of food and then consume it. Um, and she walked in right when I was trying to consume it. <laughs> yeah, that, was, uh, that was strange, but really cool. It was a cool. lot of fun. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty exciting. Very cool. So that is, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, do you have any British news? We usually like to read um, one or two news stories from the UK or England. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, what do you got this week? I mean, so I have one thing, like right now, it's one thing I'm sure... Everybody who is listening to this podcast from England is thinking about. Today is Tuesday, July 7th. Um, Wednesday, July 7th. Well. I knew the date. I This week has been weird. But today is Wednesday, July 7th. And today, England beat Denmark in the Euro 2020 semifinal. Which means they are going to go up against Italy for the championship. England has not won a World Cup uh, in soccer. And this isn't the World Cup, it's the Euro, um, which I don't fully understand the difference, but it is like a World Cup level stage. Oh, interesting. England has not won a World Cup type soccer trophy yeah. since 1955. Oh, They've had a couple of chances recently. Okay. And I think people like, you know, the bring it home has been really strong. Yeah. Um, and... It looks like if it could be a year, this this could be the year. And it's going to be the championship game is in England. So, like, having a home crowd is huge. I think there are a lot of people that are a little upset about how it happened this game today. That they won on kind of a controversial penalty kick. Oh. But also, it seemed like England was the better team for the match. Hmm. And um, another re- reason why people are upset is they're going... They beat Denmark who was like the underdog, the like the Cinderella story of the tournament yeah. that like a month ago during one of the first matches of the tournament, one of their players had a cardiac arrest on the field Ooh. and like fell and it was horrifying. Like everyone thought he was going to die. Scary. And like luckily they were able to like defibrillate him and like bring him back yeah. right there. Wow. It it was like harrowing. But from that moment everyone was watching Denmark. Mm-hmm. So it's like it is sad that they're not making the the championships, the finals, but like if it had to be anyone, I'm yeah. glad it's England. Um, <laughs> yeah. And playing Italy, Italy will be no joke. They're a great team too, but everyone who's a fan of, of English footy, good on you. We're rooting for you across the pond. Honestly, like my friends who follow soccer more closely than I are really, you really excited for England. Footy. That's, I gotta be in with the cool kids. Wow, I wasn't expecting that, but I love, you did sound really cool when you said that. (laughs) I was like, wow, he's cool. Um, Wow, very neat. Um, Well, I have an email from a listener. Oh, I love it. We're still getting emails. emails. Um, So this is uh, an email from a listener. Uh, The name is Seb Cumberbirch. Great name. So, um, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that Seb is short for Sebastian. That's what I was going to say. Do we want to guess what Seb is short oh, for? But I guess it could only be... Most of the time it's Sebastian. Yeah. But could be anything. Could be anything. It could be anything. Um, Sebastian, So, probably. Seb says, Hi, guys. Great show. Really enjoying it. Some shows you should consider covering. Peep Show. Oh, absolutely. It's high on the list. We know. I 
am a huge fan of Peep Show. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of my first British shows. Yeah. Um, the Young Ones, which we definitely need we have to heard that one, yeah. cover. Bottom. Remember we were looking at that? Someone right. else suggested oh, wow. we, need yes. to, we need to watch Bottom. Um, I'm Alan Partridge, 100%. I don't know how I've, I've never seen any Alan Partridge things. Like You need to. I need to. We, we need to. Love that actor. Um, the Goon Show, it says in parentheses, radio. So the ah. Goon Show, I think, was a radio show. What's interesting is I actually read something about the Goon Show yesterday. Ooh. I was looking at like British, I was looking for British phrases to quiz you on. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I read something about the Goon Show. It was interesting. Um, Eddie Izzard stand-up. Yep. I, I love... Actually, we love his stand-up. Like, Eddie Izzard was, like, the first, like, stand-up I ever watched. Wow. Yeah. That is blowing my mind. I had never really watched stand-up apart from, like, a clip or two here and there, but uh, I had a friend in high school who had DVDs of his stand-up, and that was my first stand-up. Wow. Yeah. Well, the final thing on the list that Seb said is, um, this is England... Which yeah. is a film. Yeah. So I, I know about This Is England. Um, anyway, Seb says, all absolute masterpieces, Seb. <laughs> so thank you. Very brief email, but we love it. We love getting recommendations. Um, these are all really good things. You know, we have really been sleeping on a lot of classic British shows. I think because when we started this podcast, when we would cover a British show, we would watch the whole show. Yeah. Or we would attempt to. We would watch every single episode. And I'm now thinking we need to do the thing that we did with some of those sitcoms like um, Only Fools and Horses. You know, yeah. seek out the fan favorite episodes and just watch those. Yeah. I so. mean, it, it is difficult sometimes, though, because a lot of British shows are different from American ones in the sense that every season or every series feels different than the one before so you feel like you almost have to experience mm. the series as a whole yeah like um what is the the rowan atkinson one that um where it was throughout different periods of time oh blackadder blackadder so i mean that one alone we had to watch a lot of content and like <laughs> well and i just love that show. and we loved it but it is one of those things where like that's the imposing thing about taking on a new show yeah. is that we know even though we don't have to watch every episode, we, we, want, to. we, want, we to. want to. We want to see them all. Yeah. So and these so, are great yeah. recommendations. We'll definitely. We've, we've been leaning on movies a bit, but I think, yeah, I think there are a couple of TV shows that we gotta some do next. Good ones. Well, do you want to talk about our topic for today? I would love to. So we watched a 2001 movie called Gosford Park. <laughs> Instant classic. Um, this is a movie, it came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw this in theaters with my parents. I've never seen this until last night. Interesting. I mean, it's one where, like, it came out at a weird time, so it's not quite, like, one of those, like, English classics from the 90s. It also, it came out at a weird time in my life where, like, I was a 13-year-old boy when it came out. Yeah. I wasn't... This is when the Harry Potter films started coming out, and Lord of the Rings started coming out. as much as I loved reading mystery novels i didn't like watching a movie where people were just sitting around talking like whenever i was a kid that didn't captivate me i couldn't look at it absolutely i think i think definitely this type of movie um and things like downton abbey are they're so based in conversations 
Um, it's the same with Jane Austen. Yeah. And it can be so entertaining and stimulating, but when you're a kid, it is a little harder to grasp. And I will say, when I saw this in theaters, I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when we watched it, we sat down to watch it last night for this podcast, and I was picking up way more this time than oh, yeah. I did when I was a teenager. Yeah. Because there was stuff that, like, just kind of happens if you if you There's look away so from much. the screen for a second you've missed <laughs> and that's kind of the beauty of this is there's constantly so much happening mm-hmm. that you are trying to pick it all up mm-hmm. and sift through it knowing that something in here is important mm-hmm. especially if you go into it knowing that spoiler alert for this podcast and for this movie we're gonna spoil the hell out of a mystery (laughs) so like if you haven't seen it stop right now it's a great movie go watch it and then come back this is an academy award winning film yeah won one and got nominated for several others. bunch of nominations i remember it being that year at the oscars my mom and i would always watch the oscars and i remember this being up for a lot of awards so um yeah so should we talk about the premise a bit but yeah I, i i wanted to say that yeah like it's it is a movie where you're you're trying to solve it and you don't know. I mean, so yeah, it, it is a movie. You you tell the premise. I'm getting way <laughs> ahead of myself. I'm tripping um, up on words. I'm getting excited. So it takes place in the 1930s and it's kind of a, um, a fancy English estate. Yes. So the, the people living in the house are lords and ladies, um, and you know, Dukes, English of them, nobility yeah. and... Um, so it's kind of about them all coming and staying at this house on a weekend for a hunting party. Yeah. And, um, someone is murdered. And there's a lot of drama that happens between, um, the lords and ladies, but also the, um, the servants who have to kind of, like, deal with all of it. So, uh, this, I feel like, is a precursor to Downton Abbey, and that this was one of the first things I ever watched that really explored that upstairs, downstairs, the worlds of both, and how they interact, and the drama that can happen. Um, And it's interesting, because um, Julian Fellows, who wrote this, I think? He wrote and created it. Yeah, Yeah. he also uh, created Downton Abbey. Um, This, it won't surprise you to know that I have a lot of trivia for this movie. (laughs) Okay. Including the fact that Downton Abbey was originally planned to be a direct spinoff from this movie. That makes sense. He created it to be exactly that, but then as it was going on in development, they thought, what if it's a standalone property inspired by the movie decades earlier so that if we want time we can get up to the point where this happened and i do like that downton abbey started earlier yeah than this and then kind of led up to the 30s so yeah but it's got both of those properties have maggie smith playing a sharp tongued um (laughs) is she a A spinster um, yeah she doesn't I don't think... Um, I think in both. Well, no, she's not a spinster in, uh, in Downton Abbey. Interesting. Um, well, but yeah, yeah you, you mentioned Dame Maggie Smith is in both. Um, and she's not the only one. Um, Richard E. Grant also shows up in both, and so does Jeremy Swift. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so like three different ones. Yeah, I remember uh, three Jeremy Swift being um, in Downton. Yeah, I don't remember Richard E. Grant appearing, but... Um, they say in the trivia he does. I'm trying to think who he Well, we been. also, there it's were some episodes of Downton that we skipped because we were racing through trying to finish it for this podcast. Oh, yeah. So he might have been in a plot line that we missed. And also, towards the end, it, it got real off the rails for me. It got a little weird. I mean, 
yeah, that's <laughs> it. The some of the the deaths were a little laughable and weird, but um, <laughs> the death in this movie was neither laughable or weird. I loved it. I thought it was a cool idea. I thought it came about 30, 45 minutes too late in the movie. It is interesting that, yes, that this is kind of like a bit of a murder mystery, but you are waiting and waiting and waiting for the murder to happen, and it it does take a while to happen. And then when it happens, the solving of the murder is not tantamount to the movie. Yeah. it's. I would say this is not a murder mystery story. Yeah. If if you're looking at it as a typical, like, an Agatha Christie, like, with a Miss Marple or a Poirot, yeah. do not think that. You will not get that. Because, like, I think the, the major difference, like, I've been really sitting and thinking on why I, I did super enjoy this movie, mm-hmm. but not in the sense, like, it doesn't fit in with me in, like, mystery novels and stories that I like. What, what do you think it's going to be? Well, I was just saying that, like, I think if you're looking for a classic murder mystery... This may fall short, but if you're looking for an interesting story about the class differences between people at the time, that's where mm. it's very interesting. But, but why what, why do you think that for me it may fall short in the Because sense of, it doesn't have a brilliant detective. I think that's a big and not just a brilliant detective, although I really love a brilliant detective. I mean, that's why <laughs> Sherlock Holmes has so many stories. Like we love seeing somebody that's smarter than us solving a thing that seems impossible. It's true. We, we enjoy watching somebody do something almost supernaturally talented. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to happen. Other, like, mystery novels, like, there are other ways that a, the character can be good at what they do. Yeah. But the detective is nowhere near the main character of the story. Mm-hmm. The detective is more, like, an annoyance to everyone else in the plot. <laughs> Yeah. Like, the movie could happen without the detective and his assistant showing up and nothing would change. Yeah. And so that's fascinating to me that, like, they present it as a murder mystery story and it is a story about a murder happening. Yeah. And I think whenever we started watching, we pulled a lot of connections to, like, oh, this is like Knives Out. Mm -hmm. But in Knives Out, like, one, the murder happens very fast. Yeah. But, like, we know even though the story is about the family, the story is about the detective. Mm-hmm. It's about the solving. It's about the solving of it. Like, because there is something, there's something satisfying, gratifying about watching somebody solve a murder and you're like, good, that person deserves it. They should go down. Yeah. And this doesn't end that way because it's not that kind of story. Mm. The person who figures it out isn't a detective. Yeah. And she does nothing with that information. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, But yeah, so this movie has so many English stars in it. <laughs> this movie... And I guess stars. I mean, some of them were stars, but some of them were just, you know, uh, popular. No, this movie has insane stars. This movie features seven knighted actors and actresses. Mm, seven. That's a lot. Sir Alan Bates, Sir Derek Jacoby, Sir Michael Gambon, Dame Eileen Atkins, Dame Maggie Smith, Dame Helen Mirren, and Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. And Ryan Felipe. No, no, we'll keep him out of this. Because um, he is not British and not part of the... <laughs> I know, I'm just saying... how out of the zeitgeist. How funny is it that around this time, Ryan Felipe... In America, it was such a hot property. You know, he was yeah. like a hot young actor. And then he's in this movie with all of these acclaimed British 
thespian. So he was a last minute addition. He wasn't originally going to be this role. Yeah. Like he was, I think as far as I've, I've read, he was the last member of the cast to get solidified. Everyone else they already knew. Interesting. Somebody else was going to have this role and there were scheduling conflicts. It wasn't an American. It was a British man. What? Can you think of a young, hot British man around this time that might be in this? Around 2001? Yeah. So this man has appeared in a lot of different genres. Um, Not as many historical that I'm thinking of. I'm having trouble. There's just so many. It's Jude Law. Oh, interesting. Like, I think it would have been great. I think he would have played it fine. But you know what, though? There's... The thing about Jew Law is that he is so upper class seeming. Yeah. Even upper class looking, when especially when he was younger. And I feel like it would have been hard for him to pull off that switch that this character happens. Yeah. Or the, the whole twist of him, like, appearing like he's, like, a footman or a valet. And then you find out he's actually, like, an American actor. Like... Yeah, I don't know that Jude Law could have pulled that off. I was going to say it's weird to think that like Ryan Felipe could probably do it better than Jude Law, just based on physicality. Honestly, he did a pretty good. He job. He did a great job. He I did thought... a good job because in this you have to do a Scottish accent, but you have to make sure you're not doing a perfect Scottish accent. Yeah. Because you have to have Kelly McDonald's character be like, he's not from Scotland or anywhere I've heard of. Right. So if you think about it, this role was harder than it probably looks. Yeah. And I mean, he did a great job. Mm-hmm. I thought like he, was he, fine. he stole scenes that he came in. He came in and let you question him. Think like there's something off about him. There's something wrong. What's going on here? Yeah. But um, yeah, we mentioned he's kind of a, a twist that's happening in the movie because uh, another big thing is that even though this is like a, a British hunting party, an American movie producer has come over and he has brought with him um, Ryan Felipe, who you think is a servant, but is actually an actor. But then he has also brought with him a famous actor. Um, I, I forget. Um, um, so the character, I forget the character's name, but he's played by Jeremy Northam, who is famous for being in, uh, I mean, he's been in a lot of things, yeah. but I know him from being in the um, the movie Emma, but oh, the, yeah. the 90s one with Gwyneth Paltrow, oh, he okay. played Mr. Knightley, and he was so good as Mr. Knightley. He's so, like, one, I mean, one of my favorite Jane Austen male characters. He nailed it. He was so <laughs> good. So I've always really, really liked Jeremy Northam, and he was so good in this. It's really interesting, because when his character was introduced, I picked up on the name immediately like it pinged for me because he plays Ivor Nervello who is a real person oh really Ivor I thought he was he is not made up Ivor Nervello is a real person who literally was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger they mention it in the movie and I'm like yeah I don't remember The Lodger but like I know the wow. name, and so, like, I was picking up on I all of it. I had no idea he was playing a real guy. And so whenever, like, Maggie Smith is saying, like, mm, that's a shame, it was a flop, like, <sighs> part of me wonders how much this is, like, an inside, either uh, a slight or maybe, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Robert Altman really likes it. I, it's in, It's a very interesting move. To put a real person in with everyone else who is not real. Yeah. Including, like, it's fine that he's real, but then why is the producer not a real person? 
That's I, well, the weird part. <laughs> I think it's because with the Ivor Novello character, he is kind of gracious. He knows that these people are really pretentious, but he's like having a good time and he's just kind of playing the piano for them and talking about his films, even though he the, can tell they don't love it. So he's kind of this really nice figure, yeah. whereas the, the American producer, played by Bob Balaban, yeah. is kind of a dick <laughs> and just kind of this like ignorant American. And so I can see why you wouldn't want to try to portray someone historical as a dick. Yeah, but it just strikes me as an interesting move where if you're going to bring over a named actor with a producer, why not make it a named producer? Like, the guy who actually made the film that, like, he's casting a film that actually happened, too. Yeah. So, like, it's it's interesting on a number of levels. But um, also, I I love so much um, the line that he said... um, I forget exactly how it is, but the producer is like, how can you stand these people? Oh, yeah. And it's my favorite moment in the film where he's just like, I have to portray them. He said, oh, you forget. I make my living by um, impersonating them. Impersonating them, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's like he knows... It's it's such a... um, the the movie is all about class systems and all about people struggling to get out of their class and, and thinking like, that their classes comes with the same struggles as other people's yeah. and watching the difference of somebody like Maggie Smith, who is so upset with him because he is a rich person that works for his money. Mm. And like, it's not guaranteed. Yeah. The way that he has to continually work for his money is so foreign and offensive to her. Yeah. But he's still an upstairs person because of how much money he can make. Mm-hmm. But then whenever he's playing at the piano, you know half of it is he's literally like shackled to this piano because even though he is part of these people, he is not part of these people. Yeah. He is their entertainment. Mm-hmm. And even though he is so talented, they don't care about him being there. Mm-hmm. Nobody, like one woman, is listening to him playing the piano intently. Yeah. Other than that, it's the servants who care. that I... are listening. The people, the common folk, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. are the ones who understand what it's like to actually earn your way and yeah. make it. And they look at him and the way that they're all listening and watching him, you can just tell they're like, he made it. He did it. Well, and it's so interesting, too, that they they keep talking about his occupation and they keep talking about the films as being this kind of like lowbrow form of entertainment. And they yeah. don't go to the movies, but the maids are like, oh, I see all of those. Those are good. Definitely, yeah. And, and so it's really interesting how much someone can technically be in your class, but because of their profession not be as respected or taken as seriously. It's really yeah. interesting. So Yeah, people will always find ways to cut the other people down just to I, stay on top. I do love the conference the little confrontations that Maggie Smith has with his character throughout though. Yeah. You know, her just being like they're asking him about the new movie and they're like, So what happens in the end? And he's like, Well I won't spoil it for you and she's like, Oh well none of us are well, gonna see we're it. Never gonna see it. <laughs> it's so Ooh. Good. She's so Man, funny. So evil. And then She's when, so uh, good at being the meanest person when alive. When he finishes playing one of the songs, they clap and she goes, don't, don't, don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. <laughs> She's so good. She's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, everyone is so good. Do we want to mention, we've talked about some of the people that are in this. Like, do you want to mention oh some gosh. of the others? Like, It's just, 
And that's why with the fact that the, the plot of this movie doesn't go maybe the way you want it to go or are expecting it to go. But I think in the end, this movie is such a treat yeah. because of just how many good actors are in it. Yeah, because I mean, weirdly, like you saying that, I've read too many mystery novels and have watched <laughs> too much TV and movies that like, I called all the plot points. Yeah. Like while we're watching it, I was picking up on everything and like saying it out loud, but it didn't ruin the the movie for me that it's still still very enjoyable that like the mother-son relationship i called like from way early <laughs> on not thinking that that would be the the twist in the movie i was like oh that's obvious though right like yeah. that's not the twist that's the red herring but no that's the movie <laughs> so this movie has uh maggie smith yeah it's got michael gambon mm-hmm. um he's the guy that gets murdered um, we've got Ryan Felipe, Kristen Scott Thomas looking so good in yeah. this movie. She she's looked, looking fantastic. She's rarely, as far as I know, a blonde, and she pulled it off in this yeah. movie. Um, we've got Charles Dance, Ugh. kind of a side character. Yeah. We've got Tom Hollander killing it. He is uh, also famously in Kira Knightley's Pride and Prejudice movie. And famously in another series that we watch over the weekend, Pirates, Pirates of, of the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. Um, um, we've got Jeremy Northam. We've got... I mean, we've got Bob Balaban, like you mentioned yes. earlier. Um, we've got and, Stephen Fry as the hapless uh, inspector. What a bumbling we've man. We've got Kelly McDonald um, playing Mary, and she is the maid of uh, Maggie Smith's character. And yeah. Kelly McDonald is so good in this. She's so good. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's so cute. She's adorable. Yeah. Two of the guys kiss her, just grab her and kiss her in this movie. And I get it. Yep. She's adorable. But maybe don't <laughs> just don't just grab women and kiss them. That's yeah. not the point. But I'm just but saying she's it, adorable. It was funny, like five minutes in, I pointed out and I was like, that's like the Anna de Armas character in Knives Out. She's going to help the, the inspectors solve everything. Yeah. And then she didn't help them. She just did it on her own. She's but you could just... wholesome, sweet character. Yeah, who is... feel for, but she's smarter than she looks. She's unattached to anyone else in the house. She's the new one there. Yeah. And then she has to work for just Lady um, Trantham, who doesn't seem to need her that much. So yeah. she has time to kind of go around and be everywhere late at night, stumbling yeah. in on people. Also, Clive Owen. Clive Owen ran. Clive Owen looking good like, in this movie. Honestly, I I am mad he's not in more period pieces. Like he really pulled it he off. He really pulled it off. That whenever I saw him, I was like, oh no. I was a little worried, thinking like this man has become an action icon in a lot of ways, or a lot of like very gruff dramas. Yeah. This didn't seem like it was going to work. He was wonderful. He was great phenomenal i think his performance in this i think there was a time in which he had kind of hit this like peak of his career where it was like is he a good actor this movie to me solidifies that he is he's great very talented i love the little friendship he has with kelly mcdonald's character you know um they're just kind of like oh you're new to working here that's cool and they just kind of like i don't know it's really cute to just see them just kind of be like oh hey you know, let's yeah. tell each other everything. It's really cool. And it it results in maybe the best scene in the movie is when she walks in on him at the end. Mm. And it's very interesting that she doesn't she doesn't tell either of the people that are involved in the murder, like, I know that you killed him. Mm-hmm. She asks, why did you do it? Mm-hmm. Which is such a great move to be like, hey, 
I'm putting this Cutting in your the court. crap. I'm not giving you a chance to even say that you didn't do it. Well, no, but I, I think also it's not an accusation. She's putting it out there as, this is a statement. I'm curious. Why did you do this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it comes as a place of, like, a lot of detectives in movies are like, it seems like they build up a grand thing. They want everyone around and are saying like, I know it was you because of this, this, and this. Where yeah. she doesn't have all the pieces yeah, and is genuinely curious about people that she doesn't find evil. Like, she doesn't think he's a bad person. And that's, yeah. And that's why when she went to ask him, she was like, you, but you couldn't, you only kill people that you hate. Why? You didn't even know him. How could you have hated him? Yeah, I really like that she wanted to hear it from him yeah. before she was like, I'm going to tell people. Um, yeah, that was interesting. But even then, did she tell anyone? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yep. She left with Lady Trantham and no way she's going to tell her. Helen Mirren, did Oof. we mention she's in this? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned all the, the dames. True, okay. Um, okay. I mean... I knew, like, you told me that Helen Mirren got nominated for this role. And she was she was good. She was fine. Mm-hmm. Until, like, her monologue at the end when you're like, yep, that's where she got the it nomination. Like it's such all a that minor scene. minor role throughout. And then yeah. at the end, yeah. it's Like, you uh, keep forgetting it's her, too. She's unrecognizable through yeah, a lot of it. Because she's so stoic and she looks like someone who's literally just been through so much in life. Yeah. That she just, she won't break a smile. Her face doesn't soften. She's just doing her job 24 hours a day and she's damn good at it but um yeah i think what's interesting the things that i didn't pick up on in this movie that i picked up on now as an adult is amazing yeah i'm curious like yeah what what were some of the new revelations for you um i don't think i ever got the clive owen was what's her name son Um, oh okay it was just it was no one ever pointed and said He's your son. So it, it just was so roundabout. Um, I think also the fact that uh, he was the one that um, stabbed yeah. the guy. But it was Helen Mirren that poisoned him first. Yeah. To keep him from committing murder because it was her son. And even Which... though they had never been together and never known each other, she knew it that was her son. But... Um, but the, he never knew. She didn't tell him at the end. The idea of protecting is, your child, even when you've never had a relationship with them. I Yeah, I liked that idea. I think her logic is highly flawed. And both of them could go to jail for this. It seems... Well, yes. Because it's, like, it, it's, it, it's movie logic. It's very movie logic. But also, it's one of those things where I'm like, I genuinely don't know British laws. Like, maybe there is. Like, a, you stabbed a dead body. He's dead. What can you do? But I feel like if it was America, they would gladly, happily lock you both up. Yeah. Um, Well, and it's also interesting, too, that by the end, I mean, we're seeing Michael Gambon's character is a dick. Like, he is a jerk. He's he's horrible to everyone. He's a womanizer. He's cheating on his wife with several women. When you realize at the end that the housekeeper and the cook are actually sisters, and they're like mean to each other they barely talk and you're like wow they're enemies but then at the end when they're sitting down and comforting each other and there's this whole story and message kind of of them both having worked in this factory that michael gambon's character ran and how he would take advantage of the women who worked there yeah and then they would get pregnant he would take their children dump them at an orphanage and they would be okay with it because they figured my kid's going to have a better life. He's taking them somewhere good. Yeah, when... he didn't say that it was an orphanage. Yeah. He he implied to them that he was giving them proper families. Yeah. 
And Which, it's, of it's, course he's not. The rich people are always going to fuck over the poor people. Yeah. Every single time, but it's also if they have a chance, they will. that left unchecked, a man in power will abuse that power. Yeah. And the fact that he did that to so many women. So it was just really, really heartbreaking for them at the end. You know? But yeah, because they're... And I think that's the hardest part about this movie is that there's no resolution. You're left at the end of the movie. You are in pieces discovering all of this heartbreak and then everyone leaves and you're like, uh, you, you got to do some aftercare. There's got to be more. What, yeah. what did you, you just did bad things to me movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I think the takeaway, I mean that this is the takeaway for me is that the thing that I just said about a mother wanting to protect her child, even though they don't really know each other or have a relationship. I think that that, um, instinct is just so strong. And then also the fact that Kelly McDonald knows who did it, but understands why it happens and chooses not to say anything about it. So yeah. I think that's kind of the takeaway. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I think for me, it's it's all about classism and it's all about the and power. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I do think a mother's love is part of it, part of the power, <clears throat> but I think it's all about power dynamics and struggling to stay relevant for every one of them. Yeah. And even if you're making a ton of money, there are ways where, like, they'll knock you down a peg. Like, Tom Hollander was not getting money from um, Michael Gambon, even though he's, like, directly related to him. Yeah. He stiffs him. And, like, I think there are, the movie continually shows you that, that, like, just because you're in this cast doesn't mean that that gives you, like the same status equally amongst all of them. Yeah. Like there is somebody's always on the bottom. Yeah. Somebody's always on the top, whether you're in upstairs or downstairs, there is another division within that. If you're in the kitchen, there's another division within that. It's true. Like there's, it's I interesting. I do love uh, though, when Ryan Felipe comes in posing as a valet Yeah. and then, or a valet. <laughs> and then um, he is then outed as being an American and now he stays upstairs and he's no longer working and how he tries to like, kind of like be friendly with the servants. And he's like, guys, it's me. And they're like, mm, you can't play both. You can't play for both teams. Yeah. Or basically. you can't live on both sides. I think. That's the line or something along those yeah. lines. Like, which is true. It's like, no, we know who you are. We know what your station is. Like, it's oh offensive gosh. you coming down here and pretending like you're one of us. We also haven't talked about Emily Watson's character. Oh, yeah. She's great. Phenomenal. She's so good in this. And yeah, she's the one that basically tells him, like, no, they're scared of you now because they're afraid you're going to be indiscreet. Like, you will listen to all of us talk about our servant gossip now you've been revealed and they're worried about what you might say. Yeah. But, um, but she honestly, out of everybody in the movie has the most happy ending. Yeah. Like in my mind, Bob Balaban is about to like take her on a plane to America and have her become a movie starlet. Maybe because he was literally searching for a female actress for his film. Oh, true. And he watched as she like stood up and caught everyone's attention. Yeah. And then like offered her a ride. That's a really yeah. good point. I don't think I really thought that through, but you're absolutely right. I feel like that's exactly She's what also happening. the one that leaves with the dog. Yep. So. Love that. There's no better happy ending than that. <laughs> yeah. She walks she gets away everything good. with that Brussels Griffon in her <laughs> bag. <laughs> that's mongrel. I mean, like, his owner just got murdered, and no one in the house really seemed to care for the dog, so why not take it? Also, I would. Did the dog have a name? 
But also, I wonder, like, when did the convention of naming animals happen? Oh, early. Very early. Because ancient Egyptians used to name their dogs, but not their cats. But yeah, that's the interesting thing. Like, what are pets and what are family and what are (laughs) religious iconography? It's interesting. It's it's wild. Yeah. Well, uh, are you ready for tea time? I am so ready. All right. Hopefully it's not poison. Let me ring the servants. Okay, welcome to Tea Time. This is the part of the podcast where we take a little break, have a spot of tea, and try a British snack. Um, Today we have something that was sent to us in our care package from England, from Julie, one of our listeners. And this is a bag of... It's a a toffee assortment from Waitrose. (laughs) An assortment of toffees. We've Um, got four flavors of toffee. Four of them. So yeah, the four flavors in this assortment are... Dairy, mint, licorice, and treacle. Ooh! Four bold flavors. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I really wasn't allowed to eat toffees growing up. Oh, yes, because your father was a dentist. Yeah. And so I'm nervous looking at these. <laughs> oh. Just of them, like, messing with my, my teeth. Um, okay. What? Okay, so there we essentially have four different wrapped colors of things in oh, front of us. Oh, we don't know what the flavors are? Well, we know what the flavors are. I don't know the correlation of flavor to color. Okay, so I'm guessing... Green's got to be mint. Green yeah. is mint. I'm going to guess silver is licorice. Oh, see, I was going to say silver would be dairy. I think treacle is red. That makes sense in a weird and way. And dairy is yellow. Okay, I can get behind that. So let's... What is treacle? Treacle? Um, that's a really good question. Because like, that's one of those things that it's like, I read for the first time in Harry Potter and knew that I needed to look it up at some point, but never cared enough to look it up. Yeah. And it was like one of those things with that and with a pasty Yeah. that I was like, I'm sure it's tasty food. Great. I can imagine tasty food. That's yeah. what they're eating. So um, as far as I know, treacle, I there's something in England called golden syrup. Okay. We've bought it a couple times. Um, but I I think treacle is similar. So as far as I know, treacle is very similar to molasses. Gotcha. But molasses sometimes in America is made with sorghum. And yes. treacle is made with sugar cane. So it's like you're basically boiling sugar cane until oh, okay. it becomes like a... Like a thick sludge. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, but... Um, I mean, yeah. So do we want to try... So we're doing the gold one first? Yeah. What we think is dairy. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, let's take a little nibble. Yeah, it's dairy. Is it dairy or is it treacle? I don't know. Whatever it is, it tastes great. Very creamy. I really like caramels and toffees, and I think this tastes really good. Yeah. It's very light. Hmm. Hmm. I like it. Do you want to try the red one? Yeah, let's try the red. This one might be treacle. Oh, it's dark. Ooh, that's probably maybe it's licorice. That's probably the treacle. Oh. Does that smell like licorice? <gasps> or does it smell like molasses? I can't. I'm gonna take a nibble. Yeah, yeah, it's licorice. It came on late. I think the other, the previous one was still in. I me. like how subtle the licorice flavor is in it. Yeah. It's not super strong. It's just kind of a subtle after flavor. Um. Okay, let's try the green one. Yeah, which has to be mint. Yeah. 
It's not? Oh. No, it's mint. Ooh, it's very mint. As we were talking about the licorice one being subtle, <laughs> this one is not. The mint is not subtle. This, this is like a this, chewy version of... The Kendall mint cake? Which was amazing. Yeah. This is nowhere near as good as that. Yeah. Out of the three we've tried so far, it's my least favorite, and I like minty stuff. It's interesting because I don't usually like minty stuff, and I kind of like this. Interesting. But it is strong. It's strong, and I think, like, I don't I don't think I like very chewy, tacky mint. I want mm, mint to either be, like... Like, break off. Like, break off. Yeah. Or, like, a peppermint patty, it's, like, melty, you yeah. know? This is interesting. Okay. So... The last one, the silver one, this must be treacle, right? <laughs> we keep saying that. One of well, them must be. the dairy one and the treacle one, I can't imagine that they would taste too different, right? This one's also dark. What? So this one might, this one's probably treacle. This one's licorice. Treacle must have tasted like licorice. This is very licorice. Wow. So, huh. I wonder if the treacle one then that we thought Whoa. was licorice just kind of like absorbed licorice scent from the bag. What? It's very licorice-y. It's very different texture than the rest. No, I guess it's the same texture. I just bit off a little edge. <laughs> uh, that's that strong licorice flavor I was looking for. Wowza. Sandy Price would love it. Yeah, we got to revisit the treacle now. Now, yeah, I'm tasting the treacle one again. I mean, when you think about it as... As you were saying, that it's like just a sugar that's been boiled. Like, of course, it wouldn't have that strong of a flavor. It would be earthy. There is a bit of a molasses flavor in this one. Yeah. So that one that we thought... I feel like... The one we thought was licorice is treacle. And I think I think it must be that they're similar. They're a lot similar in production. Like, I don't know what licorice is now that I say it. It's made from um, uh, star anise. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That stuff smells so much like licorice. I think. Am I wrong? I, mean, I don't know. Licorice is a plant. It's a flowering plant. Huh. Is star anise like a seed from the plant? Wait. Or like... It is not botanically closely related to anise or fennel, which are similar. What? So I think that uh, anise or anise yeah. just happens... To taste like licorice. It's got like the same type of oil. Maybe. Interesting. Um, Well, I will say out of all of these, the dairy is my favorite. (laughs) The mint is so strong. The licorice is also strong. The treacle was good. But then whenever I ate the licorice, knowing that it was going to be strong, like that smell was really strong. I was so much more on board with it than smelling a lot of mint. Mm. That like there's something about that much of a tacky big minty lump that i'm not here for but like that much licorice i can mess with that Mm -hmm. i think yeah i think dairy probably i don't know though i really like the treacle it's subtle it wasn't a lot of a flavor yeah i think mint mint was my least favorite the other ones i liked all i'll eat the dairy ones (laughs) yeah i mean this i this is one of the few candies that i'm like i did like it I don't know how much I'm going to be the cleanup crew for this one. Because I don't enjoy the sensation of that on my teeth. Like, that was not a fun eating experience for mm. me. Because, like, I'm, I have I have a lot of veneers and fillings. Yeah. And so I'm always just worried that one of them are going to come out and I need, like, emergency dental surgery or gotcha. something. yeah, yeah. And so, like, that isn't as... 
enjoyable or as eatable to me as like all the chocolates or the crisps that yeah. we've had. So feel well, free to, these, I these are yours. I <laughs> can tell you, I will eat all the dairy ones. I hey, love a toffee. Plain also, food. do you know the difference between a toffee and a caramel? Tell me. <laughs> I Googled it. Okay. Because um, I didn't know. Caramel is made out of sugar, water, and cream or milk. Okay. A toffee, however, is made out of sugar and butter. Oh, okay. So instead of cream and milk. Yeah butter and that that makes a lot of sense it does have a buttery yeah more buttery flavor than caramel but also why it's so dense like it doesn't have the airiness of dairy to like oh Mm. interesting that's fascinating do you want to get back to our topic let's do so you said that you have some trivia oh boy do i tell me about the trivia. honestly reading the trivia made me so much more excited for the movie again just at how much robert altman how much thought he put into making this. And I think that's what like really comes across when you're watching it. You're like, this is a movie unlike anything I've seen. Every, like every shot feels so active and alive. The world is very rich. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so much, so rich to the point that all the jewelry worn by the upstairs ladies is all authentic. And it had to be escorted in by armed guards every day. (laughs) Like right. there's a lot of like really authentic things like the um, the wallpaper that's in Lady Trantham's uh, room. All of that was hand painted original wallpaper that wow. the artist like normally would charge thousands and thousands of dollars for, but donated it for this. And then the saddest part is the person who owns this property, like even though they had this incredibly like hand painted amazing art uh for wallpaper yeah they painted right over it when the movie was done shooting wow so probably something that costs upwards of like five thousand dollars in like historical looking wallpaper the second it was done shooting they're like cover it back up wow interesting which is sad um but thinking of like uh, robert altman taking such care creating this movie um in the dvd commentary apparently he points out that he wrote in a lot of f words into the movie <laughs> Because he distinctly wanted an R rating, he didn't. He wanted to dissuade kids from seeing it. He wanted to. He didn't want people to see it with like their families or people like under fifteen, like fourteen-year-old boys. He didn't want people like me to see it because he knew that a little thirteen-year-old Sheldon would have hated this. Well, and that's really funny because my parents took my brother, my (laughs) teenage brother, and I to this movie. That's really funny. None of the actors and actresses who played servants wore any movie makeup. Like, like you pointed out, Helen Mirren looks like so tired. You see it on her. Wow. She is not wearing makeup, and you almost always see her in movies wearing the movie makeup. That's kind of interesting. To like it. they put on conventional lipstick. Like yeah, yeah. so, if it if they look like you're wearing like this woman would be wearing very basic makeup, but it's not the movie stuff meant for lights and yeah, studios. Yeah. Interesting. Um, something else interesting. I wonder if you noticed this. There is always a servant present in every single scene. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Because like throughout all of the drama that is to be had by the noble, the nobility, mm-hmm. like the servants are just always there. They've got to be. Having yeah. to endure it quietly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robert Altman also did several things in this movie where he very much wanted to, I think... He really wanted to capture the excitement, the liveliness of this. He didn't want it to feel stilted like you're watching a play or like you're just watching a static scene. Yeah. So no camera is ever still in this movie. 
Every camera's on dollies. Every camera's moving constantly. I saw something about that yesterday when I was reading about this movie, that they kept it very kinetic, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Which, honestly, is how a lot of different movies are shot nowadays. Like, mm-hmm. people will... Um, I forget the the name of the camera mounts, but people, a steady cam. Yeah. Like people will hold the steady cam, and I've worked enough on set to watch the people do it that, like, it Honestly? requires so much, like, work and strength to do it nowadays. Like, I can't imagine, like, I know it's only 20 years ago, but even then, yeah. to have, like, they essentially had two cameramen at the same time filming every scene, making sure that they're not seeing each other, always moving, always circling the actors and actresses. And the idea is, they don't know where to perform to. Mm. And by doing that, you are giving them a natural space to be like, I don't want you to cheat out to the camera. I don't want you to try to make your face seen it so that a like- a little more organic and less staged. Yeah, it looks like this is a party and that we are seeing inside. Honestly too, having so much camera movement in a movie where it is so based on conversations is really smart because it does make you feel like action is happening even yeah. though it's people sitting there talking. <laughs> and, and speaking of that, this is a movie where usually people would use boom mics to record audio, yeah. but he actually did like a theater thing and gave everyone a lavalier. Interesting. So everyone is wearing their own personal mic so that you do get more of that freedom of people can have conversations and not feel like they have to project to make sure that they're heard. Like every single bit of dialogue can be recorded separately and then mixed in. I did notice that there were multiple times in which people were speaking over each other. Yeah. That you don't often see in movies. You really don't. But it does seem more like a real thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah, it does. It feels very realistic. Um there when um when Jeremy Northam sits down to like play the piano a bunch, it's actually his brother Christopher Northam playing the piano. He's a classically trained pianist. Whoa! Yeah. I love I love that fact. I where, don't like, know why, but I just that makes me smile. I love whenever you can get somebody else involved like that. That I wonder if it was scripted that way, and then he was like, "Just oh yeah, I've, I've got a brother that can play piano," or oh, if they knew it and cast him trying to get, or I, did I don't Jeremy know. I'm always Northam curious. Sing in this? Um, he did sing. I believe I read that he did his own singing. Wow, um, he's a good singer. Uh, I believe. Oh, I, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was actually him. Um, there, there's so much, um, like great, great, uh, trivia for this that I'm, I'm going to like skim through a bunch of it. I, I mentioned that Jude Law was originally cast, um, but dropped out and very last minute was replaced by Ryan Felipe. But do you know who is the first choice for Inspector Thompson? Is that Stephen Fry's character? Yeah, so Stephen Fry was not the first choice. Somebody else was offered the role and had to decline due to a scheduling conflict. And I think I can guess what movie it was. Interesting. Who? Sir Kenneth Branagh. Oh, And he would have been shooting the second Harry Potter movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, duh, you would take that. It's a ton of money. <laughs> but no, because Maggie Smith would have... I don't know then. Mm. And it's a tiny role in this. Um, it is very funny. The... Um, that inspector, he never gets a chance to introduce himself in the movie. He's always cut off by everyone. That's really funny. Um, man, yeah, he's, he's a bumbling little idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you ready to guess your British word? Definitely. Cool. Well, this one's actually a phrase. Ooh. This is an English phrase. The phrase is, um, pop your clogs. Pop your clogs. Yeah, so if someone popped their clogs, what do they do? 
Okay. Um, I mean, I know we mentioned Denmark at the beginning, so this is like coming back in a way. I think pop your clogs. Um, don't refer to the actual clogs like in in uh, Denmark and in some Finland and other countries. I think, but clogs is slang for shoes. Like we've seen Cockney rhyming slang. They do all sorts of stuff with slang. <laughs> so I think. Pop your clogs is uh, a way that like you want to take them, you want to take your shoes off and like air them out to dry. <laughs> so like pop your clogs, you got to put them up like those are wet, those are dirty. Don't you walk in here with those dirty wet shoes? Pop your clogs, put them <laughs> in a good spot, dry them off. Okay, that's what I think. Where it do is. you dry clogs? I think like you know I don't. There's so many America and England is so different with like. I just learned they had drying racks, you know, like, so I'm the cabinet. So I, I am guessing there is like something that may be phased out now that was part of a cabinet where you would just put shoes upside down (laughs) to dry, to pop. Yeah, it would like, pop them in. Like a dish rack. Yeah. Interesting. It would pop your clogs okay, so, in. So pop your clogs means dry off your shoes. Dry off your shoes. Don't come in here with dirty shoes. Pop your clogs. <laughs> like your mom would yell that at you when you walk in pop like, your pop clogs. your clogs. Interesting. Okay, well, uh, it actually means to die. If someone oh. has popped their clogs, they've <laughs> died. No, I think this actually came from uh, factory workers wearing clogs, almost mm. like steel-toed boots back uh. in the day. Um, so if you popped your clogs, you, something bad happened. Um, oh, gotcha. okay. but yeah, anyway, good guess though. You yeah. always have good guesses. I, I feel like in another, in a Loki type world, all of my answers are correct. And I want to live in that England. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Where my dumb mind. What a fantasy. Where I am the Shakespeare of that time. <laughs> Well, I think that's all for us this episode. Thank you to anyone who listened to our Gosford Park. Oh, that's my last bit of trivia. What? Gosford Park is never said in the movie at all. Interesting. Why is this movie called that? Because that's where, that's the name of the estate, right? Is it? They don't say it. Hmm. Wild. If you would recommend this to movie to anybody. Um, I would say, what would you say? if you like Downton Abbey, you'll like this. Yeah. And I think <laughs> if you if you do like a murder mystery, but are if you want to go into it knowing that that's not really the the thing that's driving the movie, it's the characters. Like if you like watching a really unique character drama from this time period, like a Downton Abbey like you were saying, I think you would like it a lot. Yeah. Phenomenally acted, beautiful costumes, like beautiful set designs like everything all of the shots are gorgeous in this the music is fantastic yeah really is a great movie yeah thank you for joining us everyone you can find us at anglophiles podcast on instagram files with an f you can also email us at anglophiles podcast at gmail.com files with an f yeah um yeah i think that's about it for us keep calm and remember you brits really don't have a sense of humor do you We do if something's funny, sir. I can give you the mountains Pools of shimmering blue Call and I can be All you ask of me Music in spring Flowers for a king All these I bring to When I was young, my foolish fancy